0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome to London Lopate at Large. I'm London Lopate. Ronald K. Brown's dance company, Evidence, is marking its 35th anniversary this year. And to celebrate this milestone, until this Sunday, March 1st, they'll be performing a program of classic and new works at the Joyce Theatre in Chelsea, including a new ballet especially cons- commissioned for the occasion. And I'm very pleased to welcome Ronald K. Brown to our show now, along with Linda Shelton, who's the executive director of the Joyce Theatre Foundation. Great pleasure having you here. Thank you. Sorry we had that little technical problem. Good afternoon. But we'll get as much of it in as we can. Ron, how and why did you come to start your dance company in 1985? Weren't you 19 years old at the time?
1: Yeah, so I was uh, a month before I turned 19. So I think uh, I blame my mom. She took me to a dance class when I was around 8 years old. And I said, Mommy, there's 80 girls in the Mm -hmm. class. And so as the only boy, you feel that way? Uh, but I had also gone to see uh, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater on a school trip and went home and d- made a dance. And so I-
0: you already choreographed a dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so
1: then I started making my family watch these dances, and my mom said, boy, if you break something, you're going to have to pay for it. <laughs> and so I um, I mean, I loved to make dances, and then when I was around 12 years old, she um, took me; was going to take me to an audition for the dance theater at Harlem. They had a summer workshop, and I thought I wanted to be a ballet dancer. When we got to the door of our apartment, she went into labor with my little brother. I said, "Okay." Time means everything. I said, "I said, forget it." I, was, <laughs> I have a sister who's two years younger than me, said, so now it's time for me to like be a big brother. And my sister now teases me because then I started wearing, mm-hmm. carrying a briefcase and wearing dress shoes. I was like, "I'm a grown man." Um, then I went to a school for communication arts in Midwood, section of Brooklyn.
0: But you also uh, studied dance at the police athletically.
1: Oh my goodness! Yeah, during the summer. Oh.
0: They, uh, I didn't even know they had dance classes. Mm-hmm. This this is in Bed Stuy. In Bed Stuy, where I grew up. Uh huh. Um, so, did you know immediately uh, when you got serious about it that this is what you want to do the rest of your life?
1: Yeah. Once I uh, I thought I wanted to be a, a journalist and a playwright, but I was in a circle of writers who were like learning what what women had done with the feminist movement and they were writing work about legacy. And so I was looking around in the dance world. and I said I was kind of confused about what was going on in the early '80s in terms of the dance. And I turned to a big brother in the circle and I said, I think I want to start a dance company even though I just started <laughs> s- studying. And he said, well, who was going to tell your grandmother's stories? And then yeah. an incredible activist poet, Audrey Lorde, I would go see her read a lot. She was always asking the audience, are you doing your work? And so I said, oh my goodness, I'm 18 years old, what is my work? And then someone in the circle said, we have the writing down, maybe dance is your work.
0: Also study with Mary Anthony.
1: So. The, when I decided to, um, I was going to dance for the summer, I graduated from high school a year early, and I had a, a journalism scholarship. And so I went to the Mary Anthony Dance Studio. I said, oh, I'll dance for, for fun, for the mm-hmm. summer. And I got to the audition for a partial scholarship, and on all fours, I had to round my back in the Graham contraction. I had no idea what they were talking about, and I said, oh. They said, Mommy, can I give up this scholarship? They were
0: teaching you the Martha Graham dance? And then,
1: in the audition, you had to you know, round mm-hmm. your back. And so I said, Mommy, I felt like my world was like, this is not going to be fun. I can't dance. So I said, Mom, can I give up this scholarship and figure this dance thing out? And she said, I told you so. Get a job and learn how to dance. Hmm.
0: And the rest is history, as they say. Now, Linda, um, what is the the Joyce Theater Foundation's mission? It's obviously attached to the Joyce Theater.
2: Yes. uh, We support and serve all kinds of dance, all genres, everything from around the world and we we have a home for these companies to perform but it goes way beyond that
0: so it uh, I, I always thought it would be small dance companies but you have some pretty big ones as well because uh, dance only has limited venues in New York
2: it's true and to me there is well, there's Lincoln Center in yeah New York. and there's a well there's there are a few others but there's um, a gap between the Joyce theater at 500 seats and then some of the bigger Bigger theaters.
0: Now, the Joyce Theater is your own venue. Uh, it's on yes. 8th Avenue and 19th Street. Wasn't it once a movie theater called The Elgin?
2: It was um, in the late 70s, and then it was discovered by the choreographer Elliot Feld and his executive director, Cora Kahn. They were looking for a home for Elliot Feld's own company to perform, and he rightly assumed that there were other companies in New York that would need this same kind of venue, so he's responsible and should get the credit for founding it.
0: But it was a movie theater, so they had it to was. gut renovate. I imagine. Yes, yes. Um, is it uh, solely a venue for dance performance?
2: Yes, that's our our specialty, and we're focused on that. You know, some say it's great that we can focus on one thing, which we do.
0: Does it require special things like a special floor?
2: Of course, a special floor, a sprung floor that's great for the dancers so they don't break anything or <laughs> pull any muscles. And also the sight lines. There is not a bad seat in the Joyce. Mm-hmm.
0: And you also have a, a lot of rear proje- uh, projection, because uh, often dance companies want rear projection. We do. So you, you have all sorts of technical requirements that other theaters might not have.
2: Yeah, the only thing that is um, kind of a challenge is we don't have a lot of wing space on the sides of the stage where dancers make entrances and exits, so uh, they have to be careful where they're jumping off on mm-hmm. stage.
0: Chelsea has changed enormously since the the Joyce opened as a, a dance venue. It became... Uh, Chelsea became more gentrified, and New York's major gallery uh, district. Uh, How has that affected the Joyce?
2: We were one of the first to be part of the the neighborhood, and we've stayed with it. At the time uh, that the Joyce was opening, it was the Joyce and Barneys, and they (laughs) left. We stayed. stayed. Then they came back, and now they left again. But we've been a stable draw to the neighborhood.
0: Ron, when you founded Evidence, was it one of your goals to do what other companies weren't already doing?
1: Huh. Uh, well, I know what, I wanted to uh, create uh, stories through dance um, and uh, and have people come to the theater and see a reflection of themselves and see their human condition on stage. And I think in the early 80s, people were trying to create work um, it was more abstract because I think they had were trying to take care of their bodies and uh, finding physicality in their bodies absent of emotion, kind of, and I just couldn't I couldn't
0: do it. But you, you've uh, you've mixed a whole bunch of different genres into the style: modern dance, also African, uh, Afro Caribbean, contemporary urban dance uh, styles as well. Um, is there something that ties them all together?
1: You know, I think when I. St- first Started the company, it was just any information that was in my body as a black boy who grew up in Brooklyn and loved to dance. And so, as I studied, things just started to come out. Um, so, what I studied at uh, Mary Anthony's, um, and then probably in the early 90s, they, there was a small school in downtown Manhattan called Ferretta School of Dance and Drum. Mm-hmm. And so people from Guinea, from Senegal, from Brazil would take my class. I would take their classes. And so then I started to play around with rhythms and techniques from different places.
0: So you you incorporate Senegalese dance. Mm -hmm.
1: But I didn't want to bastardize traditional dance. So I was kind of, I thought I was hiding it because it's just the rhythm and the technique of it. And then in 1994, we're in Richmond, Virginia. And someone in the audience who has a traditional company said, Ron, can you please speak about the presence of Manjani, this dance from the Gambia region, of West Africa? Can you speak about that presence in your work? And I was like, oh, my goodness, I've been found out. <laughs> and then probably 1995, I started teaching contemporary dance in uh, the Ivory Coast and helping a friend start a dance company and teaching a theater company. So I would learn traditional dances to figure out what I could create to make sense, and I expressed this uh, uh, apprehension I had about traditional dance, and they said, no, my father's call, is Ronald, so my friend, friend, family calls me Kevin. They say, Kevin, don't worry about it; just study, and create, because once you touch traditional dance, it's already something different.
0: And, and so, traditional dance uh, must have something in common with the the other dance that we know. What are the? How different are they? Well. Uh, and how different are they throughout Africa?
1: Well, every region there's a th- specific technique, a style
0: and, that you would recognize immediately.
3: Mm-hmm
1: and so the um <laughs> and so one thing is that in the traditional dance there's a a purpose already in the dance mm-hmm. right and so i think when i was studying modern dance you know you you could be in an arabesque and you know you have to just act out i hate you or i love <laughs> you but there's in afro cuban dance there's a uh, a dance for love there's a dance for directness and so i think that was my uh um attraction to traditional dance. Because oh, right. I want to contemporary dance to have a purpose, but now uh, traditional has that already there, so then can c- combine those ideas.
0: And uh, how did you go about starting the company? Were you bringing in people from all over the world?
1: So when I started the company, it was folks who liked to dance with Mary Anthony's dance studio. Mm-hmm. and then So
0: people you'd met in class. Mm-hmm.
1: And then it just accumulated. People agreed to do this thing. And so after the first concert in 1985, Remember teaching uh, at the Lamone School in nineteen ninety, and because I started late, I love teaching, right?
0: You were a kid and you were teaching. Uh huh. Yeah,
1: because yeah, I believe I can. Get, everyone can dance, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm teaching at the Lamone School. And now you tell me. Yeah, yeah, it's still but late, I, it's still, so the oldest person in my class is I think seventy nine, in Brooklyn. So uh, a friend in the office turned to me. He said, "Oh, it's nineteen ninety, right? I have the company for five years already." He said, "Oh, uh, you don't have a dance company. You just want to choreograph." And then I said, oh, you're right, because I don't want to beg people for money, right? Mm-hmm. But I had shot this commercial for Pan Am. My Amex card was, so I was like, you actually have to do something because you don't have any money Yeah, left.
0: Fundraising is a, a major yeah. issue for keeping a company like that yep. alive. Now, why did you call it evidence?
1: Uh, because of what the guys were doing when I, in that circle of writers. They were writing work about legacy. And so I thought, oh, okay, evidence. So I want the company, evidence, to be kind of a reflection of... Um, our teachers, our families, our communities. So you see evidence of yourself and come to the theater.
0: You had to find performance and rehearsal spaces. Uh, in in those days, you were just a new company, mm-hmm. and as you said, they also had to uh, do fundraising. Uh, you were running a business. Uh-huh. <laughs> you thought you were just going to be a choreographer.
1: I know it was, a, but but then in uh but I'm, I'm good to have. I've been grateful to have friends who tell me. You need a board of directors. <laughs> so I incorporated the company in 1996. And then I put together an advisory committee to help me find a board of directors. And then I uh, met this incredible gentleman, Reggie Van Lee. And I heard that he was a, um, an angel in the dance field, in the arts community, and we had this dinner. Um, and he said, oh, um, I, I support the uh, dance of of Harlem. And uh, we, they, By the way, we've had
0: them on our show. And so what I think a great both, company.
1: We both left this meeting thinking that it wasn't a fit, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, he loves ballet. And then he tells a story that he was walking past the Joyce Theater um, and saw the, uh, the marquee evidence, Ronald K. Brown evidence on the marquee. So he came into the theater thinking that he would leave after intermission, and he was in the lobby after the show was over, and he said, Oh, Ron, I loved it. What can I do? I, said, I would love you to be the chair of the board and help me build a board of directors. And he did. And he did.
0: So um, uh, did the Joyce Theater also help your company? The Joyce Theatre. Other than been, giving you a space to perform?
1: I think the first concert was in 1998 or 98, 99. 98, yes, 98. Right. Altogether different. Uh-huh. And so that's...
0: And al- you've been performing every year since.
1: Almost every year. With 16?
2: Yeah, 16 seasons. How many, Linda, how many
0: different companies does the Joyce Theatre work with a, in a given year?
2: Well, it's about a 48-week season, so depending on the length of the particular engagement, it usually ends up to be around 30, but then there are festivals within these weeks and adds up to more than that.
0: Well, initially you said uh, Elliot Feld wanted to do something for yes. New York companies, but yes. now it's, I guess... The city, and then all over the country, and then all over the world. All over
2: the world, yes, for sure. In fact, sure. you
0: have two uh, companies coming in from other parts of the world in the yes. next couple of weeks.
2: We do. We do. One the United Nations over the next few weeks, including a company from Cuba that Ron has actually created a dance for.
0: Don't tell any of Bernie Sanders' competitors about <laughs> no, I that. I know I heard
2: that. Well, the arts rise above that, don't don't they?
0: So you have a Flemish company coming in next, we do. and then the Scottish, Scottish ballet. Yes. And and is is the venue perfectly okay for both modern dance and, and uh, ballet?
2: It is. It is. We usually change out the type of floor that they work on because ballet dancers work with something called rosin on their point shoes and. Dancers in bare feet, that's the worst thing that they could possibly want. So. On the other
0: hand, uh, the the genres are getting all mixed up these they days. Are. We see it's modern true. dance uh, dancers going on point. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever yeah. have any of your dancers do that, but I know Mark Morris has and some others. Uh, and, uh, and I'm seeing some ballet that looks like there's uh, the influence of modern dance.
2: Absolutely, yes. It certainly does... Some companies blend all of the genders, but uh, what I love about Ron's company is that he has this unique style that's only his, and that I don't see many other companies replicating that. It belongs to Ron.
0: Because there's a sense that uh, there isn't as much innovation these days as there was when Balanchine and Cunningham were in their heydays.
2: It's just different. There are so many young choreographers, new choreographers trying out things. They don't all get to the stage. They don't all get to the Joyce stage, but they're out there.
0: Before, yeah. you you've been in dance for a while. Before yes. you came to the Joyce, didn't you work at the Joffrey and also the I Bolshoi did. and Twyla Tharp?
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, other companies as well?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and um, now they're all at the Joyce. Uh, not the <laughs> not Bolshoi. Not the Bolshoi.
2: No, no. But we do, uh, the Joyce does have a travel program, and we bring people to see the Bolshoi in Russia. But we've had all of those other companies Uh-oh. in one way or another.
0: So you have to keep track of what's going on around the world. Does yes. that mean you have to go to different places?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And I'm assuming that a lot of them want to be to perform at the Joyce.
2: It, the list is endless. If you read my email, you would hmm. see all of the invitations and... Uh, companies that really want to be at the joys, but it's not right for everyone.
0: So let's get back to that thing about Cuba. Did you have to get special permission from the State Department?
2: Yes, um, it's changed over the years. Originally, we had to have a license from the Department of Treasury, which we, we still have. Um, it's changed recently again, but we've done a uh, and trips to Cuba pretty regularly. There's just so much dance there; mm-hmm. it's uh, something that the Cuban people do as part of their life. And so we work with several Cuban companies, but one in particular called Mel Paso.
0: Mm. And they'll also they will be, be at the Joyce coming up. soon. Yes. Uh, does your mission also include educating audiences about yes,
2: this? Uh, young people uh, through our performances for study? We go into the public schools. It's um, a, a robust program to educate young people and older people.
0: So children as well. well yes. You're, you're you're teaching them about dance.
2: We're teaching. We're not teaching them to dance. We're teaching them about the aesthetic of dance. Whether it's somehow related to their curriculum, it might be through geography, it might be through storytelling. It's to engage their imagination.
0: And since there are these artistic uh, exchanges. Do you present dance performances in other venues as well as at the Joyce?
2: Yes. Uh, this, this year we're presenting a large ballet company from Seattle, the Pacific Northwest Ballet, at Lincoln Center, which we've done before.
0: We're talking about dance on Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, listener-supported radio. One of the uh, musical pieces that uh, Ronald K. Brown has choreographed to come Sunday by Duke Ellington. We will get back to our conversation with Ron Brown and Linda Shelton and talk more about dance after just uh, just a brief, uh, well, what word do we want to use here? Taking a few minutes here, Jesse Lent, my executive producer, and I. To remind you that this is the last day of WBAI's winter fund drive, and uh, we are hoping that if you have not become a member yet, that you will do it now because time is running out.
3: Yes, a little uh, siesta fundraising Uh, siesta in the middle of the program. Hello, Leonard. Hello, everyone. A Uh, different kind of a dance. (laughs) Different kind of a dance uh, that we're getting just about to to uh, kick off right now uh, as. Uh, you might have heard if you've been listening to the station WBAI. We are in the last week of our uh, winter fund drive, and this particular hour in fact this whole day is the last day that you are able to access the matching funds that we've generously been been donated by a listener so if you step up and make a pledge right now by going to our website give to wbai.org that's give then the number 2wbai.org or call 516-620-3602 any amount you pledge will be doubled $25 will become 50 50 will become 100 and so on and so on. Until uh, this thousand dollars of matching funds is gone or until today ends. This is our last day. So please help us step up and get this matching funding. Now, if you tuned in at one o'clock today, you might have noticed that there was a bit of a delay. And this is because quite simply some of our some of our equipment is is very good. We've just upgraded our studio, but not every piece of gear has been updated yet. There's still a financial need and you know the, the ComREX machine, the thing that connects our remote studio where we are right now from from the main broadcast was, was knocked offline. Something tells me, Leonard, this is not something that happens at many commercial radio stations.
0: Well, if it does... It costs them a lot of money. They just run a bunch of ads. (laughs) We don't do that. We don't run ads. In fact... Uh, we don 't take money from anyone uh, other than our listeners. We are totally listener supported no foundation grants, uh, which it probably comes as a bit of a shock to uh, one of our guests who relies on foundation grants and I think reasonably, but Pacifica made a decision years ago that we are listener supported radio, and that is, and we 're going to be as pure about that as we can be. So we depend totally on you, our listeners, to keep us going. And that's why we ask you at, at during these fundraisers, uh, during the fund drives, to give us that call at five one six six two zero three six zero two or go to our website, WBA give to, to the number two Wbai.org. And any amount is welcome, especially now that we have a matching fund, so that if you give $10, it, we get $20. If you give $100, we get $200. Uh, Whatever amount you are comfortable with, the important thing is that you help us keep on doing the kind of radio that we do here at BAI, and it's such a wide range of shows. Uh, I don't think there are too many other people who are devoting a full hour to talking about dance, and especially dance that is so uniquely New york uh, as as the uh, the topic of our show today.
3: Absolutely. You know, I was thinking, listening to this, that before I became your producer, Leonard, I don't recall ever hearing an hour of radio about dance. I mean, even on your former show that will remain nameless, I don't recall ever...
0: We talked about dance. You talked yeah, but about dance. Maybe but we it gave was...
3: it 20 minutes. 20 minutes, exactly. And And the kind of process questions, as you and I are always talking about off the air... The time that we have on Leonard Lopate at Large, this hour, one hour, one guest, or as with today, one uh, set of guests per hour, that's really one of the main windfalls that it's given us, is this ability to get into process with the artist. What is it that makes you make this particular decision? What does that decision-making process even look like? I feel like that's something that a lot of interviewers don't even want to touch in their five to 10 minutes. And yet,
0: it's fascinating stuff. It's you want to understand how, well, how people's minds work and how something, I mean, I wish I could have had Alfred Hitchcock uh, as a guest. I have spoken to some pretty great filmmakers, for example, and artists of every sort. Uh, and it, it's been a thrill to be able to to find out how their minds work, because there's, art is, is kind of miraculous, but in, in the end, it comes out of work. It doesn't come out of just some kind of a miracle. Uh, it just sometimes feels like a miracle. And w- process is, uh, e- whether we're talking about politics or the arts or whatever, politics is pretty basic to what uh, goes on in the world. And that's part of our mission on this show to look into those things. And we hope that you will help us continue doing that by giving us that call at 516-620-3602 or going online to give dot to wbaiorg That's give, the number 2,
3: wbai.org. And you said uh, miracles, you know. I mean, sometimes, uh, as in days like today where there are technical issues, mm-hmm. it seems like a small miracle that this show goes on five days a week, always on a shoestring budget. And, and as you were saying about process, there is a very extensive process, as the man to my left well knows, that there is a ton of work that goes into putting a show like this we together. We actually prepare for our shows. We
0: don't, know, I don't just ask people... Uh, So why
3: did you write this book? And what's your next book (laughs) going to be? And what's your next dance performance? What's your next album?
0: John Oliver just uh, made fun of Larry King by uh, showing uh, a string of the most puerile questions anybody could ever ask. And yet he was pretty much the king
3: of of talk. And those shows were very well rated, right? So they must be doing something right uh, to to keep it diplomatic here. This is just a different way of solving the problem of how are you going to spend an hour of airtime we think that our listeners are smart enough to be able to digest a deep dive to be able to stay with us right they say the whole world does add right now well we think there are still a few people out there who like this kind of content who like these deep dives but if you're one of those people the only way to keep this format alive is by supporting this show Uh, By going to the web, give to WBAI.org, by calling 516-620-3602, and by making that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large.
0: And one of the nice things about not having to run ads is we don't have to satisfy our advertisers. We only have to satisfy our listeners. And so if you are one of those satisfied listeners, if you think what we do is worthwhile— we hope you will call us at six two five one six six two zero three six zero two. That's five one six six twenty thirty six zero two, or go to our website, give to wbai dot org. And uh, uh, Jesse, I want to get back to our guests in just a moment, but Please. some parting words from you.
3: Just, again, I want to make sure, in case anyone missed the beginning of uh, this dance, as we're calling it today, uh, this fun drive dance today. Uh, Right now, we're asking listeners to step up because we have a a few hundred dollars left of matching funds, but just for today. So we really need our listeners. If you haven't made that contribution yet, the people that are still holding out, if you're planning to donate this drive, today is the day. The time has come. One last time, 516 is the number, 516-620-3602. Write it on a wall somewhere, <laughs> 516-620-3602. The website is give2wbai.org. Give then the number 2wbai.org. You look like you want to say something. Yeah, right and there. I
0: hope that they'll do it in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. I hope let they the, will, uh, too. Let our station, uh, the people who run WBAI, know that you are listeners to the show. But if you just... Just want to give it, uh, for all of the things you hear on BAI, we're perfectly happy to have you become a member. And thank you. And let's get back to our our guests now. uh, My guests are uh, Ronald K. Brown, who uh, has a dance company called Evidence that is currently at the Joyce Theater, running through just this Sunday, uh, March 1st. Uh, Also with us is Linda Shelton, who's Executive Director of the Joyce Theatre Foundation. And Ron, we uh, played a little bit of music. We played some Duke Ellington, um, uh, a a piece, although not that version, uh, Mm -hmm. that is one of the the things that you've set dance to. But you've, as we we were talking earlier, uh, you do so many things, uh, so many different kinds of things. That means that uh, you... Fi- have to find audi- find music from all sorts of different places.
1: Yes. So usually I I get an idea for a piece and then I look for the music that's going to help me mm-hmm. dance off those ideas. So when Miss Judy Jamison, the former artistic director of the Ailey Company approached me around 1996 and said, oh, I would like you to do a piece for the Ailey Company. I was like, oh my goodness how do I, this guy who was afraid to take <laughs> dance classes, but then made a dance when he saw the Ailey Company how was he going to have an opportunity to create a piece on the Ailey Company.
0: One of the greatest companies
1: in the right. world. So I said, oh, Grace was the, f- the idea, the title that came first. Uh-huh. And because Mr. Mr. Ailey loved Duke Ellington, I said, I'll look to look to Duke Ellington's sacred concerts. And so I you know, heard all these versions of Come Sunday, only one by a man. And I knew a version by Jennifer Holliday, and I knew that would be the, the bookmarks for the piece. And then I looked for the other music to tell the story.
0: So, Grace, that was 1999, 99. and you're performing it during this, are, are you doing it yes, now yes, again? Yes, yes, we're doing
1: it here at, at the Joyce Theater.
0: You're also, uh, and then you're also doing a newly commissioned piece called Mercy, which you call a companion piece to, to Grace?
1: Yeah, so uh, Gideon Lester at the Fisher Center at Bard College approached me a couple of years ago. He said, has Grace ever been performed live? And I said, well, Jennifer Holliday has sung her version for a, a fundraiser. Pippin Everett, who sings Gabriel, he has performed with us, but never uh, live. He said, okay, let's do it, uh, all live music, uh, and I would like to commission a new piece. What could that be? And I said, oh, Mercy makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked about the different collaborators. Uh, Grace like, and Mercy. Yeah, right, come, come together. And so then I uh, I said, we'd love to work with Michelle and Edgar Cello. Um, and it just so happened that she was going to perform at Bard in October. And so I said, I, I'll come up there and we'll meet. Because uh, I met her in 1996, but that was a thousand years ago. So let's meet and connect mm-hmm. again. Um, and so she brought her family and the producers were there. We had were at a coffee shop and Michelle and I just started whispering, saying we're going to do this thing. And they just started talking about what is Mercy and how can we can define it as
0: artists. Um, that's and a, then you're also doing, you also use the music of Roy Davis, Jr., Fela Kuti, Uh And what happened, and, and you're, you've done a couple of things on Broadway.
1: So one thing i did mean, George them. Gershwin? Yeah, the Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. Uh, Diane Paulus, incredible director, reached out to me years ago. Uh, I think it was in Chicago working with a different company. Um, and she said, uh, we have this idea to turn the uh, Porgy and Bess into a musical. Again, the estate wanted them to do that. I said, I'll, I'll meet with you. So
0: you're the choreographer of this new production? Oh, this is years ago. Oh, but yeah. this was a different production. Yeah. Uh, you also did choreography, won an award for the choreography of Regina Taylor's musical Crowns. Yes.
1: Yeah, so that was an
0: amazing process. Is, is, that, a, is that a totally different experience, choreographing for a uh, musical theater than for your own company?
1: Yeah, and also working with the director who, um, a different collaboration. Right, where they want to see what you wanna give the actors to do. Um, but it's an amazing process too, getting actors to um dive in. When we worked with Audrey McDonald and Norm Lewis and David Allen Greer on Porgy and Best, mm-hmm. I mean David Allen Greer was like, I could do a split, they were all game, <laughs> like I could I, Audra McDonald was like, I I know dancers, so it was great that these actors like, No, we want to dance as opposed to actually, like, hmm. you know, I'll stand by cross. while the dancers come right. on. And I said, no, no, them. no, I said, everyone's going to dance. <laughs> and so pretty much I got everyone to dance.
0: And you've also choreographed works for a number of other companies, including Philodance, uh, Ballet Hispanico, the J- uh, Jacobs Pillow Dance Festival. Um, so those are not with your dancers, those are with other dancers. Are they just amenable to being told what to do by somebody who uh, is just coming in from...
1: The c- yeah, they, they 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 come around. I said so with the Ellie company. I think at this point I've created seven pieces for the company. Oh, wow! And at this point, the dancers I've worked with a lot of them, uh, when they were students or they've been in the, some of the work. But I think they know what Ron expects, and um, and they dive in. They're open. And so I think in all of the the, the companies I work with or the theater productions I work with, you try and get people to be open. Um, To the process.
2: I've seen Ron create on a company that uh, wasn't trained in his style and I thought it would be so seamless but um, it took them a while they were mostly ballet trained I'm talking Mm -hmm. about Malpaso and they had to learn how to get like lower to the ground to be more grounded and it's a piece that's in Ron's repertory his own company's repertory now and just to see the difference between these two approaches, I mean, they're both valid, they're both beautiful, the way they, the way the dance is performed, but much different.
0: So this is that's kind of like when you have two singers sing the same song. Yeah, and, yeah, way, yeah, It's yeah. the same song, and yet they are bringing something of themselves that's right. to it. In this case, it's a whole company as opposed to another whole company.
1: Right, and it's, it's about the training, because even when the Ailey Company does Grace, it looks different than when... Uh, mm-hmm on evidence
0: you began paying your dancers a salary about 20 years ago so that they'd be able to devote their time to dance exclusively without having to work at day jobs
1: well as much as I, I could um, I mean they uh, yeah because I don't want them to have to uh, work at a coffee shop if they want additional money they could do that but I wanted to give them some security and, and whenever I was you know stressed out because I was tr- always raising money. Um, A good friend of mine, I said, oh, man, I think I want to just, this is too much. And she would say, well, what about these young dancers that you employ? And so I say, okay. And then when uh, specifically women who've been in the company have told me, said, Ron, when I saw the company, I knew that uh, no one else would take me. Because of my breast or my body,
0: mm-hmm. that oh, so you you don't just bring traditional dancer type bodies no, no. into your company? No,
1: there's evidence. So I went mm-hmm. the on stage you're going to see people of all sizes, mm-hmm. right? And so there's not a typical. But then you have a good. I had a good friend. You think this your friend who said, uh, "Did you start a dance company because you don't have a dancer's body?" Uh-huh. I said, oh, thank you. Right. So <laughs> that's not <laughs> Ooh. right, right, right. And so I think. Um, yeah, but And also, when you look at traditional dance, oh, you have people of all sizes and ages dancing. So this idea that there's a dancer's body is a different kind of sensibility. Hmm. And so I think evidence is also about breaking it.
0: Uh, Linda, how, how common is it for small dance companies to pay salaries to their dancers?
2: Well, it's it's more common than you think, but it depends on how much uh, work the company can get. Is there an appetite to have them on tour? Uh, with Ron company, Ron's company, there is. But with every... Small and medium-sized dance company—it's—it's it's quite an ordeal to keep all this going. I mean, Ron was saying before that, you know, he had to figure out how to have um, a board of directors. It's like running a small business uh, for each of them, so mm-hmm. it's not easy.
0: Do you, uh, as part of uh, your mission with the, uh, as executive director of the Joyce Theater Foundation? Uh, try to help companies find ways to, to get money?
2: Yes, and in particular with Ron, um, Ron, I'll say maybe some of the business end of it isn't a strength of yours. <laughs> so we've um, we've entered into a deeper relationship with Ron and we're helping him do the fundraising and making sure that his dancers can be paid and have a more regular schedule. and And I'm happy to do that. It's a wonderful story to tell and it's worth it. Uh, to, to be doing this for Ron, or with Ron.
0: Ron, your company style has been described as contemporary African. Do you, do you like that?
1: Oh yeah, and I, I actually, I, I, I described that. Way. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, because the, uh, I don't like the word fusion. Um, uh, I like to talk about the different techniques that are in the work. Um, I, I understand Linda's description of it, and I think uh, Arcel Kabouak, who's been in the company 23 years, he's like, oh no, is it technique. A, I said, yes, 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 yes. I understand all of that. And I think my rehearsal director, they're kind of codifying and writing down uh, what it is that we're doing. Um, but yeah, I think it's contemporary African dance.
0: How many dancers are in your company?
1: Uh, nine, but you'll see uh, 13 people in, in grace. And so my uh, technical director came over to me during the tech rehearsal yesterday. He said, oh, there's a lot of people in Greece. I thought you said 12 was the max. I said, okay, because I have a couple of print- apprentices
0: in the company who are, are auditioning.
2: Yeah, and I said, oh, we're paying all of them. <laughs> <money." laughs>
0: and as you said, people are surprised when they see that there are so many different body types because we're just used to dancers all being tall and thin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I assume that one of the things that attracts so you t- certain dancers to your company is, I love to dance, but I don't. There's no way that I'm going to wind up getting in, into the Joffrey, just because of the way my body looks.
1: But but also the um, uh, the, the kind of work they want to do. Like I, I just hired a, a dancer, and we were performing in Detroit on Saturday, and gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful woman, and I came over to her after the show, and I said so. I'm about to give you total permission to, I'm going to push you so that you can release this incredible passion that you have for dance and stop pretending to be small. Hmm. And she's a tall, gorgeous woman, and she is giving everything she has on the stage. And uh, it's so amazing to see this 22-year-old say, yes, I am a gorgeous, big uh, black woman.
0: Now, th- th- we've, There's been a lot written mm-hmm. recently about... Uh, black people in dance and how they're changing it, especially in ballet. Mm-hmm. For a while, uh, black dancers couldn't get into those companies, mm-hmm. and now um, it's become a, lo- a lot more accepted. Uh, well, do you, you think that we're finally growing up as a society? Oh man! <laughs> and the reason I ask is you also, uh, you also have um, you you. Uh, were born in 1967. 66. and you're openly gay. Uh, Is it your sense that it was more difficult to be gay when you were a teen than it is now? Mm.
1: I'm sure it always has its its challenges, but um, I didn't really feel it. My family has been uh, amazing. And so I know that people have uh, challenges. But the thing about the dance world being Uh, shifting. I mean, things have changed. It's a very slow
2: shift. I was going
1: to say, I don't think there's a lot of ballet companies saying, okay, we're going to hire black ballet dancers. So it's a slow, slow shift. We're just aware that there are more uh, young black girls and boys saying that we want to do ballet. Mm. Um, And people saying that, okay, maybe this is okay. Maybe there's a space for them. But I think it's, it's slowly shifting.
0: You'll be at uh, the Joyce all this week uh, until this coming Sunday, and, and where will you be performing after that?
1: We go to uh, Des Moines, Iowa, in um, uh, in, in April. Hmm. But I'll go set some work in Pittsburgh with some students. I will go to St. Louis to set uh, some work, and I'm going to choreograph a Kanye West video in L.A. in uh, the end of the month. Ah.
0: And meanwhile, Linda, we we pointed out that you have a wide range of companies coming in. We do. Uh, How far into the future are you booked? We're about two
2: years years out. Really? A a little bit for some companies that are coming internationally, it's even further out than that.
0: It's been such a great pleasure having the two of you on our show. Been speaking with Ronald K. Brown, whose dance company Evidence is currently at the Joyce Theater, and with Linda Shelton, who's the executive director of the Joyce Theater Foundation. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Leonard. Thank you very much.
0: And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to Barbara Kahn, who produced this segment, and to Kevin O'Donohue and Naseema Dimar of the Positive Mind Center for allowing us to use their first rate studio facilities. If you're new to our show and like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Loped at Large on Facebook and Twitter. And our website, com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. You can also write your comments on any of those websites. Uh, we will... Uh, Tomorrow, uh, WBAI will have a special uh, fund drive programming, but we will see you on Friday. And as I said earlier, our pledge line is active once again. So why not show your support for uh, Leonard Lopez at large by making a donation of any amount right now by calling 516-620-3602 or by going to our website, give to WBAI. Dot org and we hope you'll do it in the name of Leonard LoPate at large. and a reminder that we also have a, um, a challenge grant that we are just pretty much about to complete. But uh, if you call in and become a member for let's say10 dollars, 15, 20, 30, whatever, that will be doubled. So another reason to call and help us get through uh, on by the way, on Friday. We'll be speaking with uh, the, the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Maurice Posley and with Michael Siegel, who um, was a victim of some of the most terrible prosecutorial uh, actions that you can ever imagine, went to jail for things that he shouldn't have done, unlike some of the people who today are getting out of jail for things, even though they have done stuff. You'll, you'll want to hear this incredible story. And thank you so much. If you've called, if you haven't, please call now.